0: Let me show you how it's done. Well, well, welcome. You are listening to the Drop Drop, Drop. Podcast on Business, Tech, and Influence. I am one half of the Drop, Tam Danier, head of strategy. I lead insights and product. I focus on tech, in particular, solutions that solve real-world problems. And I'm here with...
1: My name is B. Pagels Minor. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I have been a product manager for over a decade at some of the world's most well-respected companies like Sprout Social, Apple, and Netflix. I've led teams that built important parts of the app store, launched games at Netflix, built listening at Sprout Social. All in all, my DNA is fully being a product manager. Folks, I am so happy today. One of The few people who are on my hug list, Tam can tell you all about this later. I have a very short list of people who can give me a hug because I'm not a hugger. And Lexi Butler made the list on the very first day, which the only other person who did that was my wife. So Lexi is currently chief of staff for one of the distinguished engineers at Twitter. Previous to this role, Lexi held roles at Facebook and Airbnb. Lexi is also the founder of Sister Circle Black Women in Tech, a community of 14,000 plus black women and non-binary folks. Lexi has spent her career helping to manage, create policy, and generally execute across legal, finance, and compliance amongst some of the world's most well-known brands. Lexi has literally been in the room to help make some of the most difficult, complex decisions in modern tech company has had to face. Lexi, again, I'm so excited to have you here. To get us started, uh, one of the things I think is really great and something I I find to be very true, on your website, you, you say... I'm a professional storyteller, thought leader, and self-proclaimed freedom fighter. I like to say that I'm militantly free, which is as free as anyone can possibly be. This just means that I'm able to say what I feel is right, not just for me, but also to those around me, without fear or the feeling of complacency overriding what needs to be said. That was a very powerful quote. And in fact, I, I wrote it down as like a little note. I was like, let me think about my own elevator speech of who I am. I can actually imagine that being a person who operates without fear and with a focus on what is right helps a lot in your role as a chief of staff, helps a lot in your role as someone who's really trying to ensure large programs are rolled out well, they're compliant, they have legal frameworks. So can you elaborate a little bit more on your role and how it impacts the day-to-day decisions at a company like
2: Yes. So I think that it's funny when I think about that quote on my website, when I was working with someone to create that language I remember telling her that I am militantly free not necessarily because I don't fear anything but I fear not being militantly free so if I have to choose between which plate I choose the plate of I'm going to say what needs to be said and part of that I think is a mix of just my personality and who I am, how I came out in this world. And and I I think I've always been that way in many capacities. And the other part of it is the career and that I've been in and, and that I'm currently actively in where I'm literally in rooms all the time. And it's at that time of what decision are we making? We are no longer in a space where we can just dance around. We can, you know, talk around the subject. What are we doing and why? And I've been very fortunate where I was put in that position at a very young age. And so I had to learn very quickly how in which to have hard conversations in a way that leaders, most of them who do not look like me, will receive. And whether or not they take my advice, they are actively listening to next steps so we can come together to come up with a solution that largely I'm also cool with so I can do my job well. You know, yeah. There's something that
1: you said there that I think is very interesting. And I think it's one of the most complex and difficult things for any business, no matter what stage or how long they've been around. It's this idea of the why, like, why the heck are we doing this? Could you elaborate a little bit on how you help people get to the why?
2: Yes, I think the why is the most important. And I think that in order to get to the why, we have to get to the root of the issue. Many times in organizations and startups, big organizations, I don't care how big or small you are, when you're having these cross-functional conversations, you have people in the room that are coming with their own agenda. And there's no one actually in the room who says, so what's the actual issue? Like you can talk to me, if, if you're in marketing, you can talk to me all day about why you want a $2 million budget for this new rollout. Okay. But you haven't given me a why. You've told me obviously I need the money because Lexi, I need to have more fireworks or I want to hire this celebrity for the campaign. That's a why. Okay, cool. But like, why do we need this massive rollout campaign for this product? And so for me, what I always tell folks is that my job, whether or not it's listed on LinkedIn or in my job title, is I want to come into these rooms, all these cross-functional players and really figure out what is the root of the issue okay, so you need $2 million because you want to make this very sexy marketing campaign that if you are a startup, you may may never have spent that much money on marketing. And then I hear from finance, hypothetically, and they are like, we don't have the money. If we do this, we're going to have to take money out of this budget. But then I hear from the product people and they say, yeah, but Lexi, when this thing rolls out, this is going to change us from startup mode to possible IPO. Okay. So the root of this is because there are people in the room who think that this next thing that we're launching is going to take us in a step in our business. That if we don't launch huge and sexy and lights and cameras and action, then less people will know about it. And then therefore we can't make it to some kind of goal in 10 years. That's a good reason to get $2 million. And so I'm always pushing people, stop looking at your actual agenda and start looking at to the business core of why you have this supposed issue, if it's an actual issue. And then let's focus on solutioning that issue. Another good example, I would say, I think right now, privacy is the currency of the internet. And a lot of companies are thinking about privacy. It is very publicly known. We have a lot of companies with FTC decrements and talking to the government and the government's being upset about how can you let this happen? And these companies are required to change how they work, how they build products, how in which they communicate to their user base of what they're actually doing with your information. The root of the why is because the government said so. The root of the why is not because these companies were thinking about it. If the companies were thinking about that, they would have built products that had that functionality in that from day one. And so when I'm in rooms like that, the root of the why is we must do XYZ because these multiple government entities all around the world are saying that if we don't do that, there could be very huge consequences that are in a spectrum of costing us hundreds of thousands of dollars a day all the way to your product cannot be in said country. If y'all are willing to take that risk, blessings. But it sounds like we need to figure out how we are going to respond to this government's thing. And that is the root of the why. I do think having people in the room that can really get to the heart of the why and all of these very complex conversations drives efficiency and costs you less money.
0: Yeah.
2: Like, see, it sounds like a lot of what you're talking about is design thinking and huh?
0: we cause analysis we solve real problems getting to the root to the why and the other part of it i think what you're alluding to is in the companies that don't have that they're forced to solve problems based on compliance you're talking about ftc getting or the government getting in and saying you have to do this so the why is the compliance do you have an opinion on why you think companies just don't have this ingrained capacity is this not part of lean meaning Being lean means we don't take into account these things that could be a problem. We only face what we must face. I, and to what extent is that a risk?
2: Yes. Number one, it's a huge risk. These are very huge risks. You do need to think about this stuff all the time. And you should be actively looking for experts in this field to come into the room. I I always joke with folks that there should be a chief Y officer Mm -hmm. at every company. And their job should be this like strategic person who walks into these cross-functional rooms and is like, why are you doing it? And until you give me an actual good reason why, the answer is no. There should be a chief why officer and we don't have them. I think going back to your first question, the reason why many companies don't have this is because a lot of these companies are built on these weird dreams. Weird dreams are, hey, wouldn't it be cool if people could talk in 140 characters to each other before Twitter existed that was weird That was weird uh, and and I would argue that weird factor made Twitter what it is before Twitter existed nobody was walking around saying hey I'm just gonna put 140 characters online to tell people that I like the Grammys that was weird unspoken <laughs> like okay yeah. you know and I definitely wasn't in the room when Twitter was created, but I can only imagine when Jack Dorsey was initially going to people and saying, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if people could just tell people what they thought about the sports game in 140 words. And people were like, why would anybody want to, why would anybody care about your thoughts? And now look what it is, right? Look at Facebook. Facebook was really founded upon this like weird psychology experiment at a college where they were like, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if everybody could connect with their classmate on the internet and their classmate could be like, I like puppies and I'm from Louisiana. And then for whatever reason, people thought that was cool. That was weird at the time. And I think that because it's so ingrained in our hearts and our minds and our bodies now, it's just duh. But we have to remember when these companies were created, this stuff was weird. It was weird to be able to communicate to someone in three continents away with a simple click. And so because of that weirdness, I can only imagine that when these weird quote unquote ideas were thought of, nobody was sitting there saying, and what are the data implications of all this? Well, and what about
1: people's privacy? So there's two things. One chief lie officer. I feel like their number one tool should be like a little water spray bottle. And like you spray the cat. It's like, you spray it. It's like, <laughs> no, that wasn't the answer to my why. Like, That should be like the the tool that they have so that's the first thing that's exactly what i thought of when you said that but to your point (laughs) part of it's it's not fun many of the companies i work for i so i went to law school i'm a very proud law school dropout but they would always put me on all these legal and compliance projects and everyone would be like oh my gosh be like look we like totally appreciate you because you're the one who takes the stuff other people don't like and i'm like but that doesn't make sense because if this doesn't go well we will not be a company anymore. We, we we could be dismantled if we do this wrong, especially when you're talking about the ways in which you, know, you can lose trust, right? For instance, Robinhood, I think, is a great example because they had the huge security issue. And I was like, wait, they don't even have basic best practices for protecting information. I can't work with a financial institution that doesn't have that, right? And so I'm sure with this with what you said like this weird idea is the thing I love most and I don't want to have this other thing take the fun out of that and so the chief Y officer is also not the chief fun officer like, yeah, and you have to like de-dupe that
2: yeah. oh yeah it's the um it's the adult that says you have to eat your green beans before you eat your vegetables before you eat your dessert I use that analogy all the time at work it's become a joke when I walk in the room it's Oh, here comes the vegetable eater. And I think what you said, B, is very impactful. That's the reason. Nobody wants to eat their green beans before they eat their ice cream. And for people who do, yeah, you're weird. So I I understand why people don't want to have these conversations. I think my concern with it is that, but we are adults. And this is how the world works. And at the end of the day, like using Robin Hood, for example... We can eat our ice cream all we want to. And as soon as that article went public and people started reading it and early adapted Robin Hood users and read that, I don't have the data. I've never worked at Robin Hood, but now you have lack of trust. So how does this company actually sustain itself? So now we're going back to the vegetables. And so always having that person in the room or that department in the room from jump from the first step of Yes let's have these cool posters and let's have these cool t-shirts and let's travel around the world and blue blue and let's make sure everything is actually being developed according to the law and or having a wonderful legal team that is making strategic risk on how we interpret the law so for example we can make sure that we have best practices for financial security to our users yeah. Robinhood um, is just one example. Remember all of these companies around the world, any company that can take money from you has to have financial best practices, mm-hmm. whether it's an actual company that is branded on finances, Robinhood, or whether it's a company that allows you to post cute pictures of your puppy, Instagram. They all have to have that because we're all dealing with money in some capacity. So, Why don't we have these people in the room from the day the company is started, especially now in 2022, I would argue that when Silicon Valley really blew up, especially from a social media perspective, these companies weren't thinking about, oh, at some point we're going to ask for money. I highly doubt Mark Zuckerberg was in Palo Alto in the early stages of Facebook. Yeah. And then at some point we're going to have Facebook marketplace. Mm -hmm. It's 2022. So any startup, any company being created, it is very clear anything that you can think about, you can possibly achieve. So why wouldn't you put those people in the room early? Why is it that startups usually put a lot of money towards people who can make the product and then have and then use money to consult out legal and compliance. And then 2 to 3 years in, they like hire a legal team. It's wild to me. You know what, I would like to change the narrative
0: about it being an adult in the room. Mm. Asking why is a very kid-like thing. It's about bringing the kid in the room. It's me firmly in this position. I question everything. And so opposite of me, I'm not an early adopter. I spend a lot of time questioning things. It's a very investigative approach to to how strategists think. But I think the value of having someone in the room asking these questions, why, is because this is real Mm -hmm. life. Doesn't matter if you don't acknowledge them in the room, (laughs) real life will acknowledge it for you. I always say, especially these companies who rely too much on consultants, the world will not bend to your PowerPoint. That's not how this works. So all of this culture where everything is yes, man, yes, man, let's just put it in a deck and then we're gonna pour millions of dollars into executing something. The world does not give a damn about how much time you spent in a room patting each other on the back there does need to be someone a kid in the room who's not ingrained in this kind of yes man culture to say hey this kind of looks fishy i really don't understand this have you thought about this is this like this what do you mean by that um because a word is being floated around and everybody has a different understanding of what that word means and it's just going on as part of the zeitgeist of the culture that, hey, we're not going to ask a question no. about what this means, but nobody understands what this means. That's why consultants will always be in business. We just come in from the outside and say, <laughs> hey, been noticing, I've been hearing don't this right. a lot.
2: Yeah. And you know what to add to that, Tam, and I appreciate it. Maybe it's the kid in the room who says why. Maybe it's the adult in the room who requires the execution of that why. Because I've also been in rooms where we've had people say, hey, that don't look right. And uh, nobody listens. Yeah. For many reasons, it's not just the kid in the room that says why. We need the executioner in the room that has the power to say, "Okay, so before we launch blah, we gonna figure that out." Instead of allowing the whys and did nothing happens, because I've I I have been in situations where things have really blown up, and Mm -hmm. we are in the room, and people were and you have the leader come in and say, "How did this happen?" And we're all sitting there, and some of so who's gonna tell this person that we like low key thought about this like, eight months ago? But then like, someone said, "Don't right. worry about it." But um, right,
0: do you believe that's about misaligned incentives? Oh, there's somebody in the room that really has a lot of power.
2: of oh, yeah. this is and so about power. About yes,
1: I love that idea of having the person in the room. You've, you've had these great leaders who are in the room who have this ability to, even though they might agree, they still ask the right types of questions. They still challenge in the right types of way to actually create the ability for the, the, the organization to move forward, to, to make better decisions. And I thought, I really believe in that. So if I'm a VC and I'm looking at a startup, I go, all these people have worked together for forever. They're really good friends. They kids go to school. Who is the person in that room who's saying something like, oh, maybe we aren't. Are we sure that we've thought about everything? And so that's what I'm always looking for when I'm in, in, in spaces. I'm like, who's the person who's going to, who's going to disagree. And actually Tam and I are like this together because Tam is always like, B, I might agree with you, but I'm about to break down your argument in such a way that I'm going to destroy you and then build you back up together. And that's important. That's super, super important to have that person. And then the second thing, this is something that I really learned at Apple and I think it's super, super important. So the thing at Apple is if one country created a law Chances are the next country is going to create something similar or even worse than that law. And so you'd be like, okay, yeah. so instead of me just sitting back and waiting, right, this is what, This is my strategy. It's like, what is, it doesn't make sense for me to wait and go, let me do the bare minimum to address the issue for this country's yeah. customers. Instead, let me think about like the, let me think five years out. If this is what the law is right now, it's going to get more difficult from a, a technology perspective hey, let, do I need to go ahead and overhaul my infrastructure? Do I need to go ahead and overhaul my policies? Because I'm gonna try to get there beforehand so that I can
2: always delight my customers.
1: So why don't you go ahead and take care of it?
2: Especially in international waters. Like I think in the United States, it's a little more convoluted, but especially in like the EU and stuff. A good example, what you were talking about, be mm-hmm. GDPR. I'll never forget the day, and, and I was at Airbnb. It was like September, October of 2017, where I was put in a room. And at this time, Airbnb was quite small. And so we had these weekly all-legal meetings. So the the GC would come, we'd sit in a room and talk about stuff. And he was like, y'all hear about this GDPR Irish thing? It's a thing. And we're going to have to comply. Somebody needs to, Lexi, can you get some people together? And we can just start like sifting through the documentation. I remember by January 2018, being at an Airbnb, and it was like, oh, no, this is really happening, and this is due on May 25th or else. Like, May 25th was D-Day, and this was Valley mm-hmm. for everyone. And everybody, I feel like every company and anybody working on GDPR had a style, like, oof, we still have our product in these countries. And at that moment, I was working for Facebook, and I was in London for work. And I remember May 25th hit, and it was like May 26th, 27th, and we were in the office, and i was talking to a co-worker and i said so now what like we, we finished and he happened to be a lawyer and he looked at me and he laughed and he said oh we're gonna do this again and i said really and i was like no that sucks and he's like oh yeah the rest of the world was just watching to see mm-hmm. if ireland can pull it off it is now 2022 the list of regulatory laws and name that like just insert the country is insane and the fact that when you actually read the laws all it is, is GDPR plus or minus yeah. like some sprinkles a good example LGPD Brazil that was the probably the, the biggest one that's come out recently and that was what 2020 2021 and I remember like working on LGPD at Twitter and every tech company their legal analysis was like okay so can somebody get that document from GDPR <laughs> can somebody just bring that out okay everybody can y'all just read that okay cool so just read that and then we're going to read that and then we're going to compare it to this document that the Brazilian president sent. And then we just going to fill in the blank. We're not rebuilding stuff. And I would argue that every LGPD response in Brazil in 2021 was literally GDPR plus a little bit, plus a minus, whatever their legal risks they wanted to take. We have another one coming is coming up, and that's going to be huge, considering the billions of people in India who use a lot of these products. If you don't comply, it's going to be a problem. And so I do think that companies are getting better. But again, when you are at like a Facebook, you're a tech titan. When you're at a Facebook, when you're at an Apple, when you're at an eBay and Amazon, and I use the word Titan, not just for the brand name of it all, but just like the sheer number of employees that you have, like the sheer number of like countries that you're in. (laughs) You have to respond and it's harder to respond because you have to take steps back. If you are the startup who's just starting right now, who just got their first seed of funding, learn from those tech titans, build this stuff in as you go. So you don't have to backtrack. I have been in rooms at some of these companies where it's like it would have been so much easier if we had just done this 15 yeah. years ago <laughs> and the amount of work that we have to do to go back in order to move forward just learn the lessons now just What's build so it fun- could
1: you define what a gc is
2: yes yeah, so a gc is general counsel the general counsel is the head of legal so at any of these companies tech or non-tech any corporate companies there is a legal department they hire in-house lawyers to work on the stuff they work on and the head of that department we call him her they the gc some organizations call it like the head of legal titles are titles are on a spectrum but usually at these major tech companies when you hear the term oh the gc is coming to this meeting it is the person who runs the whole legal organization it is also the person that when the ceo says what are we doing they like have handled. to respond
0: Anybody who was a product manager of a public facing site or, or product <laughs> in 2018 had to deal with GDPR, Jeez. which for the listeners is general data protection requirements, mm-hmm. uh, a nasty little nuisance that fine. we all had to deal with. So fine. I think I want to go back to so yeah. on this path about GCs and um, these compliance <laughs> things. So I want to go back to this idea of why this role is not appreciated in the room and the narrative around that, like right? the person who asked why is a troublemaker, the team player. Yeah. And when you're on a quest to build something, these are the people that usually get um, pushed aside or quieted down. And the greatest historic reference to that of, of how this has gone bad is the challenger. I don't know if anybody realized the challenger, the space challenger oh. that matched mm-hmm. because they would not listen to any naysayers in the room they identified mm-hmm. this problem, but, hey, you don't believe in greatness. So I'm just summing this up for dramatization is basically what happened and you get kicked out of the room. So the question to you is at this point, what is the risk of not taking the naysayers or not having this kind of competency? Anecdotally, any stories you can share of this
2: is what's at play or this is what's
0: going yeah. to happen?
2: Really bad things from your users getting physically hurt it depends on what kind of product you're building, but people getting physically hurt all the way to your company, not surviving. I think a really good example that I can talk about publicly was I joined Airbnb March, 2016. And I joined as a compliance project manager. Before that I was a um, technical program manager at a company called MedApp. So this is my, so I joined Airbnb. I was just like, I just want to do something different. I want to work at the hot startup. I, I was really tired of going to Christmas dinner and then having that uncle say, so where do you work and what do they do? I wanted to work at like the cool named company. Even if I could have been the janitor, I could have been the CEO. I wanted a brand that I was like, this is what it is. And people would be like, Mm -hmm. so I took this job as a compliance project manager, not really knowing what compliance is. And really March, 2016 was how my career into this space started and really transformed. And I haven't looked back since. Airbnb was very small. I think I was employed like probably in the early 2000s. Hot startup. Everybody was loving Airbnb. It was everywhere. Everybody was talking about it. This concept of micro economies and how you could rent out your guest house to someone and you get a coin and then it's cheaper than it. Was, it was big. Two and a half weeks after I joined Airbnb, I will never forget um, the head of policy, the G.C., the head of legal, the head of finance, and the CEO, they went to the head of compliance, who was my director, so my boss's manager. And I just happened to be in the room, because again, we're still a startup, so we don't really have concepts of, this should be like a private conversation. I, I was just in the room. And I remember the CEO saying, we have an issue because um, we have people on Twitter who made up a hashtag called Airbnb while And what they're doing is they're saying that they are being discriminated against either before they get to their Airbnb. So they try to book an Airbnb and then the person realizes they're black and then they get denied. Or we had cases when they got there, they booked successfully. They got on their plane. They're so excited for their trip. And they get to the door at 7 p.m. at night and the person opens the door and is, oh, sorry, no. Before this, Airbnb had a policy. We had a policy that for whatever reason, if you couldn't get into your Airbnb or something happened, we put you up in a hotel because safety first. And that's important. Um, but then with this started coming up and people started talking and saying, yeah, Airbnb got me in hotel room, <laughs> So I wasn't stranded, but this is not okay. And I'll never forget the CEO being like, what are we going to do about this? Because understand that when these... People created Airbnb. They never thought of this concept that, of course. oh, like somebody who looks different or what if it is a couple that is not cisgender or heterosexual or however you define what a couple should look like? What if the person is wearing clothing like a hijab that you don't like and then you just turn them? And I'll never forget that what people didn't know was publicly we shared these findings and we made this beautiful PR thing about how like we're working on this. And I actually got to be the program manager who ran our discrimination task force. And that was like this big point of my life. What they didn't know was privately. One of the reasons why this was so important to us is that as this is coming to public light, we're secretly building this thing called Airbnb experiences Mm -hmm. where people aren't staying at your place where let's say that Tam, you own a pottery studio and you can have an experience of come do pottery. Let's say that you are in Japan and I don't know if this is still an experience, but I remember when it first rolled out, it was in my head. Like, if I ever went to Japan, I would do this experience. And it was this um, person who did this whole samurai experience and you got to make a samurai sword And, the, and So as we as the world knows that we are publicly trying to figure this out and what does Airbnb respond to someone closing the door in B's face for walking into their Airbnb and B being a black non-binary human. We're also privately. B being denied at 7 PM at an Airbnb because they are a black non-binary identified human and us getting them a hotel room is honestly not our biggest issue. If y'all mm-hmm. want to roll this out. Because what happens if there's an Airbnb surf experience and then we all get to the beach and somebody takes off their shirt because we're surfing and there's a swastika tattoo on their back? How does this work? And so a lot of the work that I did at Airbnb, it actually wasn't about the issue that the users brought up. It was about us thinking forward about all the other stuff that we were bringing out and how we respond to that to benefit that. You're
0: saying a lot in that story. Mm-hmm. On, on one hand, you're talking about a company and startup very still early on in their infantry yeah. who took the initiative to bring in this competency and see forward thinking. This is the vision of this company. And we can see that if this stands, the viability of this company is at risk. Oh, Something yes. similar had writers were getting discriminated against and they came out and we got to solve for this. And I think that you can look at some companies, and of course, these are white, cisgendered guys, who can't think outside of themselves. And you can look at the lack or the gap in that design of their system and say, all right, they're bad, but they can fix it. You can see that they can fix it because they have a vision of the company. What do you say, knowing what you know now, when you see a company like the fintech companies who do not have this capacity for compliance or for designing for future risks, and they still launch anyway, does that put to you on the borderline of, hey, they're learning, their startups? Or is that to you say, this is a bit of a scammy kind of thing when you know what you don't know and you're going to do it anyway. At what point are you Theranos versus I Airbnb? Think, yeah.
2: Yeah. I think in this day and age, if you know that you don't know and you still launch, we have a problem. Period. Because we're talking about not only So, for the Airbnb example, I used it because I was like, that's a clear example of somebody's life. Yeah. People walking into an Airbnb and being discriminated against because of what they look like or what's on their hair or whose hand they're holding to get into their place. Best case scenario, they have a wonderful experience. Middle case scenario, we put them up in a hotel. Worst case, this could be somebody's life. It's life, right? And I remember I was in the room and as this, dark-skinned, black, 20-something who's from St. Louis, Missouri, I remember hearing, like, reading the tweets and and telling people in the room, I was like, oh, no, this is not just about, oh, they closed the door in my face. Where I come from, Mm -hmm. you could die. This is much bigger than just, like, we're going to lose some money or we have to take money out of the insurance fund to pay for B's Marriott hotel bill for a week. Like somebody could die. And I think that the reason why Airbnb was so good at responding to that and not only responding to the issue at hand, but building out practices for future products was because we were very clear on the fact that this could be somebody's life. This is not a game. And do you want that PR? New York Times article <laughs> because that could actually end your company. So we've ended yeah. lives and we've ended companies. And so I think that at this day and age, when you have companies, especially in FinTech who are deciding to make these steps, knowing like knowing that we have some clear issues and we at least don't, we at least don't have a six month plan on how to solve them. I always tell people tech is very interesting because a lot of times y'all we're doing stuff and we just, we're just like, we just go make this work. But We're going to wing it. but There's winging it. And then there's
0: design by design. You did not.
2: Boom. Boom. I have definitely been in situations where it's like this product is going to launch tomorrow. Here are the five things that we need to fix. And by the way, we will fix them in the next five months. And we have the dedicated resource to do it. Go be great team. (laughs) Anybody ask you anything? You don't know. Especially in Fintech people's money, especially with all this crypto stuff coming out, and Web three, and what does that look like, where cryptocurrency by design is like the money's not in your hand, so people are already a little skeptical about crypto, which I personally think which makes it a very intriguing conversation. You as a fintech company, producing things, doing things, launching things actively knowing you don't have all your ducks in a row and also actively knowing you don't have a plan to get them in a row in the next 90 days is a huge problem and a very big risk and a huge risk to me as somebody who would work at that company. I would argue that I probably may not work at that company because I'm like, are we going to be so around you, in a year? So
1: obviously we acknowledge that not every startup has the capacity to hire an internal general counsel True. or a legal expert or a compliance expert when they first start. Yes. But there is a risk to not investing in at least the thought frameworks or thought in the the thinking of these risk things, because one of the things that, that really came to mind for me for that first of all. So obviously I was one of those people. In fact, my wife is white, so we actually changed our profile picture to just be her image so that we could always guarantee that we could get Airbnb. Yes. FYI, like we tried to game the system for our safety, which is very interesting. But the second part of that is is that as a mm-hmm. startup, we think about Airbnb. Like economically trying to then recoup the trust of this cohort of users, like you're having to put them up in a hotel and you're you're not getting the money from the rental that they had. You put them up in a hotel and you might have to kick off that that person who's renting off their property. So if you start looking at that, losing money, losing money. And if that starts happening at very large amounts, you don't survive as a startup. And so part of what we're saying here is that this right. the thinking through these things, right, thinking through the why, thinking through the risk, thinking through the compliance is also a way to make sure that you're economically viable, right? Because you don't have to worry about that thing hitting you, yeah. and then you lose everything. You lose your ability to actually continue yep. to see if you have product market fit, for instance. Um. So having said that, we're getting close to the end of the podcast. Lexi, first of all, I know you got a crap ton of stuff always going on. So what's the things that we most need to know about Lexi and what's going on with you right now?
2: Yeah, I am the the very proud and humbled founder of Sister Circle Black Women in Tech, which is a 14,000 plus black women organization, solidarity group for black women in the tech industry that was actually started when I was at Airbnb, because I realized very quickly the rooms that I was in, I need to learn how to talk to people and ask why, and also be the executioner for that why. Talk to a lot of leaders who do not look like me. And how do I do that as this dark skinned braided and or curly haired black woman, who's usually the shortest person in the room? How do I do that? How do I gain authority and seek authority and, and expect authority from leaders in these compliancey conversations without getting the angry black woman thing. And to be very frank, it still happens all the time. And and at this point in my career, I'm okay with that because those feelings are not mine, but as a middle, late 20 something, it was like, how do I navigate that? So I started this organization and now we have over 14,000 plus people around the world, part of tech companies. And we recently launched our professional opportunities newsletter, for jobs and speaking engagements, because it was really our idea of how do we combat these media announcements of all these layoffs and rescinding offers and hiring freezes. The best way is for our own community to have a very easy access way to, but these people are hiring, but this person's looking for a speaker. And I keep telling folks, the recession is coming. Some would argue that it's already here. I cannot focus on that. I can focus on the but and. This person layoff yeah but and this person is hiring but this person's looking for someone but this person needs this and so how do we get that access to our community and then also i am a speaker and a thought leader and i do a lot of that on the contents of privilege and equity because i do think that the rooms that i've been in the rooms that i am in all the time i'm very much an equitable leader i want people to be safe seen valued and paid fairly if i can make sure you are safe seen valued and paid fairly You are going to do phenomenal work. And especially right now in a recession, I need people who do phenomenal work. So I do a lot of conversations and storytelling and workshops on what it actually looks like not to be an ally, but to be a freedom fighter for your direct reports, to really build these very intimate relationships with them so you know what their privileges are and what their lack of privilege is and how you align your privilege to their lack of privilege in order for them to just do their job in a safe environment so, the Question yes. for you is uh, where do you want to be? Yes. You can find me on Twitter and on what's it called? Twitter and Instagram at Lexi V speaks. And you can find me on LinkedIn at literally Lexi L E X I and then B. But yeah, hit me up. I'd love to continue these conversations. And I want to thank you both for doing what you're doing. I think this podcast and these conversations, these narratives are very important as people continue to build dope products and as we called it weird things that at some point will not be weird and will just be part of the ecosystem but just making sure they're really thinking about this stuff so it's so they can just make more money faster than you.
1: thank you so much for listening to the drops podcast we love having you we love your feedback Please do connect with us across social media. We are the drops podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. And we also have a great email, thedropspodcast at gmail.com. You can send in any questions that you have, and we definitely would love to answer them on the podcast. Feel free to ask just about anything because we have experienced a ton of different things. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Drops Podcast.